The NBA is back, and the Jazz, Pelicans, Clippers, and Lakers treated basketball fans to some great action last night. Today on Home Court Press, McCade and I preview tomorrow's huge game against the Oklahoma City Thunder and talk NBA news and notes. But first, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell lead the Jazz to a gigantic comeback victory over the New Orleans Pelicans in their first game of the restart. Stay tuned. Home Court Press is next. And the NBA is back. The Jazz control the tip. Gobert, a back in on Favors. Nice spin and the bucket and the foul. Rudy Gobert gets things started for Utah. And now the shot clock is winding down. Conley, step through. That's creative. Hard cut. O'Neal with the finish. Mitchell, head of steam. Euro hangs and hits. Mitchell one-on-one -on -one with Holiday. Mitchell penetrates, gives it up, Gobert! He's fouled on the play. Gobert is going to the free throw line with 6.9 on the clock. Two out of two for Rudy Gobert. For the lead, Ingram rims out and it's over! The Utah Jazz hold on. Welcome into Home Court Press. The first time Home Court Press has been joined by McCade Pearson after a Utah Jazz win that matters. McCade, how you doing this morning, man? Oh, doing good. It took us about 145 days, but we finally picked up our 42nd win of the season. Amazing. And we're running on our quest for 49. After you and I meet on that fateful day, March 11th, we finally get to watch a Jazz basketball game that matters, and we get a W out of it. Just a fun night of basketball, as long as you throw the first half away. <laughs> now, we can count the first half as long as we narrow that down to the first six minutes. Okay, that's fair. Let's do that. <laughs> well, let's... Yeah, no, we got two great games of basketball. Both were tied with 10 seconds to go, 15 seconds to go, and both results ended up in the Jazz' favor. Yeah, it, it was beautiful. So let's go around the league first, talk some news and notes. Um the one thing I have outside of the two games that were played last night, the Bucks have announced that Eric Bledsoe and Pat Connaughton will not play in tonight's game. That's due to conditioning. They're still trying to recover from their COVID-19 diagnosis and, and regain that full lung function, be able to get up and down the floor. I think that's a smart idea. If you don't feel like a guy's ready for NBA action, you, you don't want to put him in a bad situation. And then we look at last night. Lakers end up beating the Clippers 103-101 in the second game of the night after Jazz Pelicans, obviously. LeBron James scores the go-ahead basket with just under 13 seconds left. Now, I'll tell you, McCade, you mentioned that this both results were good news for the Jazz. This Lakers-Clippers game probably doesn't matter, but it's still a good thing for the Jazz. Really, it was a perfect night for the Jazz in the NBA. Even with the Lakers winning, Jazz fans can be happy because it allows them to gain a game on the Clippers. They now sit two games back of the two spot in the West, one game behind the three spot in the Nuggets. I mean, that's that's a great result. What more can you ask from night one? No, yeah, and they had the tiebreaker against the Clippers, so that is a real two games back. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, right now, you're like, yeah, it's a step in the right direction, but that's still a long way to go in that direction. If we can pick up a win tomorrow and the Clippers can lose to the Pelicans tomorrow, then it's right there with six games to go. Yes. But it is still two games with seven games to go. So we'll see what happens there, but it doesn't hurt. I mean, it hurts my heart a little bit for the Lakers to win because I hate the <laughs> Lakers, but we it doesn't all do. hurt logistically, mathematically. So we'll be all right there. 
But the Jazz pulled out a win, and I don't know how to feel about it because they did not look that great at, at – I'm going to say at times, but that was a lot of times. <laughs> it was an awful lot of the game. It, you know, Aside from the first six minutes of the first half, the, the Jazz looked bad. You talked yesterday about one of the keys to the game was the Jazz have to hit shots be, to slow down New Orleans' transition. And for – 18 minutes of the first half, they didn't hit shots. There was an eight-minute stretch where they didn't hit a field goal. It made it awfully tough. The Pelicans were able to build a 16-point lead at one point in the first half. Honestly, I, I look at this before we get too deep into a lot of the numbers. The Jazz stole this game. We had some keys yesterday, three-point shooting, defensive rebounding, and the Jazz did none of it. They shot 23% from the three-point line. They did put up a lot of shots, and that was one thing we knew they needed to do. But they allowed the Pelicans to shoot 35% from the three-point line, and the Pelicans also grabbed 30% of their misses on the offensive end. Yeah, it was it was rough. Um, yeah, it was kind of just – the game kind of floated along in the second half where the Jazz did a good job of not getting blown out. And it's just like, hey, it's still like seven points. It's still like nine points. And then all of a sudden, with about six, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, they're like, you know what? Let's hit a couple shots. I think they scored on four straight possessions and got stops on six straight possessions. And all of a sudden, they were up one with like three minutes to go. And it was, it was mind-blowing. It was, oh, my gosh, we have a chance to win this. And the anxiety of a close game <laughs> is so much fun. I hate it. But it is so much fun. It was so good to have that back. And, you know, the Jazz made, especially Donovan Mitchell, but the Jazz as a whole, they made the plays when it mattered most and got to win. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned that anxiety, and you're 100% right with that. The anxiety feels great after a win. If the Jazz lose <laughs> that game, the anxiety doesn't feel quite as good. Yeah, it's in the moment, though, it's fun. <laughs> It is. It's but, nice to feel that. It's nice to feel that passion again after missing it for four and a half months. But yeah, so we're back. It's rolling. You know who brought us back? Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Hey, that first basket was an unassisted post move like it was the 1990s and one. It was fun to watch. Rudy almost, has a little more game offensively than people give him credit for. Almost like the Jazz drew it up that way. They're like, here, Rudy, we're going to give it to you in the post. You just do your thing. And he had a nice spin move. I don't know if they counted as a dunk. Maybe they did, maybe they did. But the ball fell through the net, and he got a free throw out of it. So that was fun to see. That was great. Rudy ends the night with 14 and 12. He was 4 or 5 from the free throw line with two gigantic free throws with 6.8 seconds left to clinch the win. I love seeing Rudy knock those free throws down. It shows confidence. I, you know, maybe having no fans in the stands helps with with some of the anxiety that that a player might feel as they're isolated on the free throw line in that moment. But awesome to watch Rudy do that. I mean, let's just go over this timeline really quick. The league stops in March. We all know how this worked out. Rudy tests positive, followed shortly after by several players along across the NBA, including Donovan Mitchell. We come back to the restart. Rudy scores the first basket. We've already discussed that tonight. And then, as if all of that wasn't enough, he finishes the game with two huge free throws to clinch a Jazz win in the restart and and build confidence going forward. But not only that, the way that play happened. Donovan Mitchell sets the defense up perfectly. Absolutely perfect execution. He draws Derek Favors. 
Favors did a great job recovering to even be able to foul Rudy and prevent him from getting the dunk. But watching after all of the controversy and these guys don't get along and this and that from the national media, great to see Donovan drive and then dump the ball off to Rudy Gobert, not force a shot, and Rudy gets a chance to win it for the Jazz. Yeah, that's not a pass Donovan's making in January, February, or March. No. Um, But he made it last night, and that's important. Also, shout out to Mike Conley. He only had one rebound on the night, but it was an offensive rebound with like 15 seconds left. Yeah. So, huge rebound there to give the Jazz that second chance. Um, But yeah, it was Donovan. I mentioned this the other day on Twitter. I can't remember if I mentioned on the podcast. We've seen a lot of games where Donovan was bad. And it hurt the Jazz. Last night, Donovan was, he struggled, but he ended up making a huge impact on the game. He turned it on when he needed to and made the right plays. And all of a sudden, his numbers looked a little bit better. And more importantly, the winning impact was there. Well, I think we can all agree as Jazz fans that Donovan, his entire career, he's been a better second half player. Last night was was just another example of that. It, the first half, there's there's no way you, you can't cut it any differently. He had a bad first half. You know, the Jazz fall behind by 16, as I mentioned. Donovan was 2 of 7 from the field. He had 7 points in that first half and just looked out of sync. The second half was was a completely different player. He, he scored 13 points, had 3 rebounds, 4 assists. The Jazz really started focusing on that pick-and-roll lob to Rudy Gobert. Donovan was throwing the lobs. Mike Conley threw a couple. Conley's not a good lob passer, I've decided. (laughs) But that's okay. I love seeing the 4 assists, the 2 steals from Donovan in the second half, and just the way he controlled the action, watching him on that last play. He, He would have. You're right. The January, February, March... Anytime in his career up to this point, he probably forces a bad shot on that last play. And it's it's awesome to see the growth from Donovan. And you saw you said it on Twitter last night. Looks like Donovan may have made in the, the four and a half months sort of off season, Donovan may have made a, a little mini jump. He's more patient. Um, especially once he crosses the free throw line into the paint. He was very quick just to get up crappy floaters. Maybe he gets to the rim a little bit. But now once he gets past that first one, he's making passes, and he's even backing it out. He's just getting a little more creative there, which is good to see. Now let's look at Royce O'Neal. We talked about rebounding a lot as a key to the game. Royce O'Neal ends up with nine rebounds, all defensive rebounds, and had some big boards in the, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, also had 12 points on 11 shots. I love seeing Royce take 11 shots because it does make the defense commit to defending him. Three assists, two steals, and that doesn't even mention his defensive impact on Brandon Ingram at Zion Williamson early in the game. Royce was fantastic last night. Yeah, no, his off-ball cutting was huge. He was yes. moving pretty well without the ball. Um, I, you already said it, but we got to reemphasize it. Like His defensive rebounding, he attacked the class last night. And not only in the quantity of nine, but the quality, he was going up against big guys, tapping at teammates, like figuring out ways to get the ball. Because the Jazz defensive rebounding was not good last night outside of Royce and uh, Rudy. You know, Mitchell didn't help much. Kong didn't have a single defensive rebound. Ingles was meh. Like, you need three or four guys to step up. We had two last night. So, thankfully, Royce was able to 
get us that second to keep the game close. Yeah, I, mean, I thought Royce. I saw someone on Twitter say Royce was the worst starter. I thought, man, he. Depending on how you view Conley's night, Conley had twenty points, which is really good. But man, Royce was super important with his twelve points. And the Jazz starters just played well. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to talk about the Jazz five man lineup in just a little bit. But I, w- I wanted to talk about Jordan Clarkson. It felt like in the first half, he missed about 20 shots. I looked at his numbers after the game. He went 8 of 17 from the field. He was 1 of 8 from the three-point line. But, McCade, being an analytics guy, Jordan Clarkson's a tough player for you to stomach. Tell us about him. Yeah, I think he was 1 for 10 or 2 for 10 at one point and then finished like 7 for 7, 6 for 7. I'd have to go look up the exact numbers. But it was brutal. When he checked in, we were up 11. And when he checked out, we were down 16. He was a minus 27 in the... I think he ended up getting down to like a minus 23. But at some point, he was a minus 27 in the first half. Um, he finishes his game minus 15, which is still terrible. But, again, like, he was... For as awful he was in the first half, and we're not excusing that. That was terrible. He needs to be better. His ability to get to the rim and his scoring ability kept us floating in the late end of the third quarter. And so you got to give him credit for that as well. Um, 23 also, points on 17 yeah. shots when it's all said and done isn't bad. He got to the free throw line a crazy amount, some fluky, but some real. Man, he's annoying to evaluate because it's a gi- he's a giant negative and a giant positive, which leads to high variance and scary, scary times. So last night, it was bad, but it was good enough. And you got to appreciate that because at the end of the day, it's what happens with the team. The team was able to make up for his shortcomings. And you said it. He was able to adjust. He realized that his three-point shot wasn't falling and in the second half made a concerted effort to get to the basket. And even against a team like the Pelicans that just have a lot more size than the Jazz, Clarkson has an ability to create open looks in traffic that is kind of rare. He drives me nuts because – you want to talk about mid-range, right? So yes. Clarkson, most people's layups, shots at the rim are within three feet, but Clarkson kind of has this weird little four-foot, five-foot game that most players don't have. Mm-hmm. A lot of his layups appear statistically in the short mid-range, which throws off its numbers. It makes him look like this mid-range god like Chris Paul or somebody. But that's not really the case. He just takes really long layups. It's, it's super weird. He has a knack to score around the rim, which is really nice to see. Um, just, as I said, it's just, he has a weird little knuckleball floater. Like he's a unique player and unique players are good to have. So last individual jazz note, George Niang, he was, I, I felt like he was one of the more consistent players in the scrimmages had a really rough night. Oh, for six from the field, Oh, for six from, or Oh, for three from the three point line had two rebounds, but didn't contribute much outside of that. No, struggled on Zion defensively, and then he had one play where he went one-on-one against Zion on the other end of the court and threw up this weird like little hook shot, fadeaway floater thing from about 10 feet out. It was weird. Um, rough, rough game from Niang. But as I said before, one of the anomalies of the season is when Niang's bad, we win, and I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. It's just kind of a fluke thing, but it happened again last night. So you just move on and hope it's a one-game thing because mm-hmm. – Niang is a shooter, and when shooters miss all of their shots, they aren't very valuable. And the only note I have about the Pelicans in terms of individual players, it's Zion Williamson. 
Zion played 15 minutes last night. He wasn't on the floor during the stretch when the, the Jazz were able to close this game out, take a lead, and, and finally win. But Zion was 6 of 8 from the field. He had 13 points. One really nifty behind-the-back pass for an assist on a fast break. What are the Pelicans waiting for with Zion? I, I understand that you've got some concerns about his conditioning right now, and the, to reach his potential, he's got to lose some weight. I, you just, I don't think there's any way around it, but why only 15 minutes? I don't understand that. You've got to win, what, five games and eight games if you're the Pelicans, whatever this magic number is there. Yeah. And you let one slip away, and one of the reasons, as great as the Jazz played down the stretch, I'm not sure they pull that out with Zion on the court. Like, you've got to be able to find him 20, 25 minutes. And more importantly, if you're going to play in 15 minutes, why isn't he playing 12 minutes until three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and three of those 15 minutes are the last three minutes in a close game? Like, yeah. Which, I mean, I guess you could argue 15 minutes is 15 minutes, and you're probably right. But, man, it just feels especially like the Pelicans. What are you waiting for? You said it spot on. Like, they let it slip away. So, no complaints here from a Jazz fan. But, man, that's interesting game move as you're in the bubble in a playoff chase. I feel like there's got to be more urgency for the Pelicans with Zion in that situation. But let's let's talk lineups. Let's let's look at this in-depth analysis that you bring to us, McCade. That starting lineup was pretty awesome. Yeah, so let's kind of go through the Jazz rotation. The Jazz played four lineups last night. So you have your starters, right? Um, they played 14 minutes before the bubble. And then they played 16 minutes last night, and they were a plus 17 in those minutes. So those are the guys starting games and finishing halves, and they were just awesome. Both at the beginning of the game, we built a quick 11-point lead, and then at the end of the game when we came back. The end of the first half, beginning of the third quarter, they're about even. But overall, plus 17 in 16 minutes is crazy. You'll take that every time. You're going to be hard to beat when your lineup's plus 17. That's just easy math. Especially when they've only played 14 minutes together on the season coming in. Yeah, so I'm assuming we'll see that line up another 16 minutes tomorrow. Um, halfway through the first and third quarter, Ingles and Conley go to the bench, and Moody and Clarkson come on. That lineup played for 8.2 minutes, and they were negative 8. That lineup struggled. 8 minutes isn't a great sample size, though. That's when Clarkson came in and started to rough up things in the first quarter. Is probably where that negative 8 comes from. Whatever. And then... And the, at the end of the first quarter and the third quarter, the bench comes on. So Colin Ingles come back out with Ying and Bradley. Moody goes off the court. And that lineup was a negative three in 11.4 minutes. That could be a fluky three-pointer. But all these negative twos and negative threes do add up. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the second and fourth quarter, before Ingles comes back in, Clarkson's on the court with the starters, and they were a negative two in 6.8 minutes. So plus 17, minus 3, minus 8, minus 2, that still gives you a four-point advantage in your main 42-43 minutes. The Jazz played 10 other lineups that combined for the other 5.6 minutes, and they were a negative 2, but those are one possessions where that team might not even get a chance to play offense. They just play 30 seconds of defense substitution, just some you know weird, spooky things. So in short, the Jazz starters were really, really, really good. Um, shot the lights out, didn't allow any points. I think the exact number was, uh, I want to say 44 points scored, 27 points allowed. I tweeted it out 
But, I mean, their offense is just great. It was mid-40s points in 16 minutes. You're right. The starters offense was great. Let me ask you a question about the the bench unit, the Moutier-Clarkson units. As I was watching that game as the eye test guy with with our podcast, I felt like it was the numbers don't necessarily reflect what was happening on the floor in terms of the Jazz were getting the looks that they wanted. They were getting good shots. They just weren't making them. I didn't feel like the offense was run poorly. I didn't feel like they weren't getting what they wanted. It was just open looks in the corner. Niang had a couple open looks. Clarkson couldn't hit anything from three. And that's where the struggles were. I don't necessarily see those lineups as being a negative going forward, but they were definitely a negative last night. What do you think about that? Yeah, bad shooting nights do happen. I think their defense left something to be desired. Hopefully they can turn that around. Yes. But in the first half, your four bench players were a combined three for 16. Clarkson was two for nine, as we mentioned. We mentioned Niang's 0 for four. Um, Moutier 0 for two. Like The first half was a big struggle. And so... Yeah, you're just the reality is you're going to have a negative plus minus when you miss shots. But the other reality is you're going to lose games when you miss shots. Yeah. So it was terrible last night. There were some signs for a hopeful future. Hopefully it's a one game fluke. Like I could definitely see that happening. That lineup had been killing it right before the hiatus. We'll have to see how it goes the next seven games into the playoffs. All that that we just said boils down to the Jazz are one and zero in the restart and that's the only thing that matters so let's talk about the thunder we've brought this game up several times it's a huge game because it decides a tiebreaker along with just you gotta win you gotta win basketball games thunder have been a, a huge surprise this season a lot of people expected them to miss the playoffs trade chris paul for more assets the Jazz have played them twice. They're 1-1 one one on the season. They played in the season opener when the Jazz won. And then on December 9th, where Oklahoma City came back to Salt Lake and beat the Jazz. So yeah. there's a few things about the Thunder here. There's an incredibly scary three-point guard lineup with Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Dennis Schroeder. And then in the front line, they've got Danilo Gallinari and Steven, Steven Adams. That's a tough matchup for this Jazz team. Plus 31 is 800 possessions. Um, the Paul SGA shorter lineup is it? most of that's with Gallinari and Adams. But yeah, they're just, it's video game numbers. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. The Jets have to figure it out. Even if it's only a 10 minutes a game thing, that's where they win their 10 minutes. What about Chris Paul, McCade? He's been a big surprise this season. After injury concerns over the last few years, a lot of people thought his best days might be behind him. He hasn't missed a game this year, and he's been the heart and soul of this. You look at the roster, this incredibly young Thunder team. He's averaged 18 points, five rebounds, and seven assists per game. But I think more than the numbers, it's his on-court leadership. Yeah, he's, I mean, Schroeder's getting a lot of talk for sixth man of the year. But he's kind of like everyone on the Jazz, where he's terrible without Rudy Gobert. He's terrible without Chris Paul. Uh, Chris Paul. And he's great with him. Like Chris Paul is just elevating this whole team, like Rudy does. Chris Paul is probably going to make All NBA second team. It looks like from the votes I've seen for sure yeah. third team, but it looks like second team. Um, yeah, Chris Paul has been great. Just as I said, he's lifted that organization. It's kind of full circle of his career. 
you know, after Hurricane Katrina hit, they played the Hornets played in Oklahoma City for a couple seasons, half the time. And now here he's back in Oklahoma City, kind of rebuilding things again. Um, the Jazz have got to figure out a way to stop Chris Paul. The other thing with Chris Paul is it's a great mid-range game that we've seen for the last three years in the playoffs. Um, the Jazz are great at forcing the mid-range, but if you don't make them uncomfortable in the mid-range, it's, it's pointless. And so Chris Paul can't just get his elbow jumpers against the Jazz like he does against everyone like the Jazz like to allow. Because why you want to force teams into mid-range shots, you really want to force them into uncomfortable shots. And then I want to talk about one matchup, McCade, before we wrap up. Steven Adams and Rudy Gobert. Rudy's a great center. We know what he provides for the Jazz, and, I mean, he's consistent. We can expect it every night. But when Rudy struggles, it's against guys like Steven Adams. Guys, big body. I mean, Adams might be the big, the strongest center in the league. He, he f- is able to force Rudy just a little bit farther away from the basket than he's comfortable being. You know, even two feet makes a huge difference in the post. And just overall, both ends of the floor, Rudy's got to work a lot harder against a guy like Steven Adams than he does against what the Pelicans put on the floor last night. No, yeah, it was a really, really, really fun matchup to watch in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And, of course, Steven Adams is the nicest guy in the world. He keeps booing his opponent during the bubble, which is hilarious. I love it. Because there's no fan, so he's like, I'll take it in my hands. I'll boo you at the free throw line. Um, but, yeah, it's just a unique matchup. I wish we got to see an international play more, but Steven Adams refuses to play international ball. But it is two very different styles of two very good players. Adams is the big, strong get in your way. He's got this beautiful little, I don't even want to call it a floater. It's just a little like push shot yes. that he does. And then Rudy is this great role, man. It is where everything does start. And Rudy Gobert is a better player than Steve Adams. So it's advantage us, but it's just that it's an advantage, not a mismatch. Exactly. I totally agree with that statement. Do you have anything else on the thunder for us before we wrap this up? Um, just the backstory of, you first approached me to be on this podcast back in March, and we met March 11th that morning to do a fake pod to preview the Thunder game that <laughs> night just to kind of introduce ourselves. We were never going to post it, but yeah. we made a fake pod for the Thunder Jazz game, and now here we are 140-something days later, and we finally get to preview it for real, and it's actually a game that's going to be played, hopefully, knock on wood. <laughs> Um, <laughs> now you got but, me worried. Now I'm thinking this, about it. <laughs> this is the longest pregame show in NBA history, in sports history, but we made it, and life's good. Okay, McCade. Now, no pun intended with this, but I stole your thunder yesterday by taking <laughs> the fire take. What do you have for us this morning? Donovan Mitchell's a really good player. People think I hate him. He's awesome, and his passing and his vision and his control of the game looks a lot better and that's going to be the difference on the Jazz when a first round playoff series my hot take fire starter I don't know this was probably two three four weeks ago now was that if the Jazz win tomorrow then they will win a first round playoff series and at this moment as awful as the Jazz looked last night I think the Jazz are going to take care of business tomorrow I think the Jazz have a big advantage of having played a game already they won't have that, for lack of a better term, first game jitters like the Thunder will. Yeah. And I think they're going to come out really focused. They know it's an important game. They know it's 
the game that's been going on for, we're going to call it the 147-day game. I'll look up the exact number of days, but that's what we're going to call it for the rest of Jazz history. And I think they're going to take it super seriously and come out a lot quicker than the Thunder and pick up a game. So, here we go. Donovan Mitchell's going to score 35 tomorrow. I like that. That's a bold prediction. I think he's going to come out a little more aggressive and a little more in rhythm than he usually does in the first half. And we all like to talk about Donovan being a second-half player. But good superstars play 48 minutes, not the last 24. So Donovan needs to come out better in the first half. I think we see that tomorrow. I hope you're right, McKay. That sounds like an awful lot of fun to watch. That game's going to be 1 o'clock Mountain Time tomorrow, correct? I think 1.30. 1.30. So, so the pregame will start at 1 o'clock. 1.30 for the tip. Find that on AT&T Sportsnet. And I'm I'm honestly not sure if there's a national broadcast tomorrow night or tomorrow Ooh. afternoon. I would yeah, assume so there is. It's a quadruple header on ESPN. Um, off the top of my head, it's Nuggets Heat at 11 and then Jazz, and then Pelicans, Clippers, and then I can't remember who the night game is. Lakers, Raptors, maybe? Okay, um, so full so day of NBA basketball. Header, every game's important. Like, basketball starts at noon today. Like, well, it's March Madness, man. <laughs> it's good stuff. So it, It's basketball heaven right now. It really is. And then the Jazz are back on East Payne on Monday night as well. All oh. the national games. All right, McCade. Well, I'm going to be in Bryce Canyon this weekend. So, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to put out a quick recap pod on this Thunder game. The plan is Monday morning we'll get together and we'll recap the Thunder game from Saturday, whatever happens one way or the other, and then we'll talk about the Jazz game Monday night. So, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. McCade, where can they find you on the social? Um, at McCade P8, that's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. We got real basketball to talk about, which means I have real grass to look at now instead of off-season grass. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. That's B-Priest24. And I'm going to make a bold statement here. You've been listening to Home Court Press, the second best consistent Utah Jazz podcast out there.